0: Welcome to the Linwood Covenant Church Podcast, presented by Pastors Dave Osterkamp, Rachel Hart, and Chris Kelly. Join us each week as we dive into the timeless wisdom of Scripture, exploring Jesus' message of love, hope, and faith that unites us all. So sit back, relax, and let's get into this week's service.
1: We're going to be continuing our series uh, entitled, um, Be a Follower. We've been looking since September about what it means to follow Jesus as we're called to be disciples. So you can catch up on any of the sermons that you've missed on, um, on our YouTube page, but also uh, we have a podcast now you can find on all the podcast apps that, that you might use. Um, I think Corliss is going to read our scripture this morning. Or no, sorry, Corliss is looking at me with panic. No, sorry. <laughs> I, just, I just wanted to make sure you're awake. Janice. I knew it was Janice. Janice is going to read scripture. So it's Matthew 17, page 798. Thank you.
2: After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before him. Them, excuse me. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, is it good for us to be here? If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, "'Whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him.'" When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. "'Get up,' he said. "'Don't be afraid.' When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, "'Don't tell anyone what you have seen.' until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, Why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished, In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. The word of the Lord.
1: Right. Thank you, Janice. You might not know, but our, our church has a fantasy football league. Some of you might ask, well, what is that? In short, it's a way to make sure that every single NFL game is interesting. That's basically what it what it is. Uh, I have I have my own team, and I think I've I've cursed my team because of my team name. I thought it would be clever since I'm the pastor to have a team. A name that would kind of surprise and shock people. So my team name for the last few years has been No Mercy, No Grace. That's that's the name of my team because I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to be all about mercy and grace. But uh, when it comes to football, it's going to be No Mercy, No Grace. I'm going to dominate you, which has clearly, if you know anything about the league, has not happened. Not even (laughs) close to happening. Instead. I think all of my fellow competitors have taken my team name and said, "Oh, that's a good idea. No mercy, no grace for the pastor." And and I've been I've been losing a lot. But today I bring up this idea of mercy and grace because I think there's such an interesting tension between mercy and grace, which we believe God is full of, and then holiness, which we believe and we've sung a lot today that God is is holy. And and it, there's, the, there's this tension of this mercy and grace and, and, and holiness that we, that we live into. And my hypothesis that I want to talk to you about this morning is, is this, that if we focus on the holiness of God, it makes it difficult to remember that God is merciful and full of grace. And likewise, if our focus is on the mercy and grace of God, it becomes difficult to remember that God is holy. And that we've, we live in this tension. So let's, let's talk about that. We've been following Peter. So as we talk about be a follower, we talked about what that means in September. Then we've talked about people that, that have been following Christ. And we get glimpses of their story. We don't get their full story because the story is about Jesus and about God and who he is but we get glimpses of people, so we've talked about uh, Barnabas and Priscilla, and then we're spending some weeks on, on Peter, because we get a lot of glimpses of, of Peter in, in, in his journey with Jesus, and it's been up and down. Last week, we read just a chapter or so before in Matthew, where Peter was asked by Jesus, who am I? A question that each of us are asked, who am I? And Peter rightly says, you are the Messiah, Brilliant. Jesus says, well, God revealed that to you, and you are right. And then Jesus said, I am the Messiah, and I'm going to suffer and die. And Peter has the gall to take him aside and rebuke him and say, no, you shall never do that. And, and, and Jesus has some strong words for Peter. So we see this up and down. And so today, Peter is, is, is invited by Jesus, as well as James and John, the three of them, to go up a mountain. So a lot of us have walked up mountains or large hills, and, and you go on... You go on a hike, and we know the beauty and joy. You can imagine the Sea of Galilee is in the background, this big lake. It's it's beautiful. And as you get higher and higher, you get tired. You get the altitude gets higher, and you get to the top. Now this passage is recorded in in Matthew 17. It's also recorded in Mark chapter 9 and Luke chapter 9. I'm going to invite you to Sunday school. We always meet at about 11 o'clock on the last classroom in this south hallway, and and we discuss uh, discuss the message um, uh, in detail. So we'll look and compare to these three passages, but I invite you to do that during the week because there's different details. But in Luke it says the disciples were sleepy. You can imagine, and, and it also says they went up there to pray. So you get up to this mountain, and you've, you've hiked it, and then you, you sit down in the cool air, and, and you start to spend some time in prayer. Uh, it's a very human thing to like start to, to, to relax and to get tired and, uh, and to take a nap. And, and so there, this is what's, what's happening. And, and then Jesus' face, it says in Matthew, starts to shine like the sun. On the top of the mountain, he was transfigured, which means his form was changed. So you can imagine kind of falling asleep and kind of being in a daze, and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, what's that light? And then you're like, whoa, it's Jesus. And, and it's, 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 his form has changed. His face, I mean, you read those words, like you imagine that. His face is shining like the sun, which means you couldn't really look at him. It would be like, whoa, what is going on? And then you get a glimpse of his clothes, and, and they're white, one of the passages says you couldn't bleach it any whiter. So you can imagine Jesus is, is living in, in, in the ancient times. Clothes, I think, are probably rarely pressed and clean. So you know, you're know you used to Jesus' garb, which I th- would imagine was pretty normal things. Uh, wasn't the fanciest clothes. And all of a sudden, it's like his clothes are so white and his face is so bright. And then as you're kind of coming to and you're looking around, you're like, what in the world? There's... There's two other people here. We know there was four of us that climbed this mountain and now there's six and, and you, it seems they intuitively knew it's Moses and Elijah. Like, what? what? Your mind has just got to be whirling. This is, uh, this is an unbelievable setting. What's going on and, and what do you say? Most people, and probably the wise thing is to say nothing, right? Just to like take it in. Peter has a hard time saying nothing. That's part of what we know. And some of us are like that, some of us aren't. But it, it's a strength and a weakness. Our strengths are always our weaknesses. And Peter, Peter says, Jesus, and at least he asked Jesus, hey, should we build a shelter for, for everybody up here? Well, not for everybody, for Moses and Elijah and Jesus. And we don't quite know why, but it seemed like maybe he's, he's thinking of uh, some feast that the Jewish people did. And, and he says, uh, uh, I, can, I can build a shelter for you all. And and it says, while he was still speaking. So you can imagine Peter's kind of stumbling over his words. Jesus says, it's good we're here. Can I, should I build a shelter for everybody? Here? And in mid-sentence, you hear this, this voice of God, which we all think of as Morgan Freeman now. But... Probably isn't. I don't know. I mean, it's just—it's a. I don't know. You know, if I was going to pick any voice, I I would probably choose him. Or I forget the other—is it James Earl Jones? The other, like those two guys. I mean, they. Yeah, You know, maybe I'd be surprised if God sounds differently. But, but you can imagine this—this voice of God speaking. We have no idea what that's what that's like. But you hear these words, and again, we don't know the the tone or the the tenor of the voice we don't get that but we get the words this is my son whom i love with him i am well pleased listen to him and as peter's speaking this voice happens and what do the disciples do they fall face down they're they're on the ground The voice isn't talking about Moses. He doesn't say, these are my bros, these are my brothers, these are the people. He does not talking about Elijah. He's talking about Jesus. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to them. Have you ever been in a situation where lightning strikes near to you? A lot of us have. I was golfing up in northern Minnesota many years ago with some friends, and it was a beautiful day, and we're in a wooded course, just a gorgeous course, and and we're on the green, and and then we didn't really check the weather, at least I don't remember checking the weather, but we kind of noticed that there was some clouds building. But it was wooded, it was hard to see a lot of the sky. But we're on the green, and this thunderstorm comes rolling in quick. When you're in those situations, you really don't forget them, where the lightning strikes and the sound happens at the same time. I've been I've been, I think about two times in my life, I can remember being uh, maybe a few more, but outside twice that close to lightning. And the inside you notice it too, but you intuitively know you're in a better spot than when you're outside and that happens. And so when that happened, all of us on the, on the golfing green, there was I think four of us there, and, and we all just moved instantly. We didn't think, oh, we should move or maybe we should run. Your body just reacts. Now My body didn't react as wisely as my counterparts, because they all dropped their golf clubs, and I held mine and went running. Uh, but, but then like we all got to the edge of the green, and we stopped, and we're like, what just happened? And you like check yourself, and like, yep, I'm okay, I'm alive. And, and we're looking around, and they're all looking at me like, why do you got your golf club in your hand? And I'm like, oh yeah, let's, let's drop that, and let's get, get out of here. And, and I imagine that those moments are what happened. Like Peter, James, and John didn't think about, oh, we should maybe get down on the ground now boom, they were on the ground. They heard that voice. They had seen the transfiguration in Moses and Elijah, and that was shocking enough, but when they heard the voice, by the time they kind of came to, they realized, oh man, I'm face down on the ground. That's just what my body had to do. And it says in Matthew, they were terrified. They were in the presence of God. They heard the voice of God. If you read throughout the scriptures, when that happens, people are terrified. They're in the presence of, of holiness. What did Jesus do? John 17, 7, Matthew 17, 7, records these next words. Jesus came and touched them. Well, what was that like? I don't think he came and said, hey, guys, get up off the ground, right? What are you doing down there? Jesus came and he realized you just saw something to me. Jesus came and I imagine him putting, softly putting his hand on their shoulders and saying, guys, it's okay. It's okay. Get up. Don't be afraid. It's all right, guys. Get up. Don't be afraid. You just got to see a glimpse of who I really, really am. So, you see, in the midst of this encounter of holiness, you see mercy and grace, right? Peter, James, John. It's okay. Don't be afraid. God is for you, He's not against you. Come on up. And and when they get up, Moses and Elijah are gone. It's just them, the four of them. They didn't need a shelter after all. And they come down the mountain, and you can imagine the conversations that, that, uh, that happen. But Matthew records, um, the disciples begin to ask a few questions. And they say, why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Now there's a lot going on here, and Peter, James, and John are Jewish men, and they've been hearing that the Messiah is going to come for a long time. And there's lots of beliefs of what's going to happen when the Messiah comes. And part of that is that Elijah comes first. And so they're asking about this. And what's the deal with Moses and Elijah there? Well, we'll get into the nuts and bolts of it in Sunday school. But, but just briefly, what they saw was the last few verses of the Old Testament played out. The last two verses of the Old Testament is Malachi 4, 5, and 6. And it says this. Oh, I is it, do you have verse four by any chance? No, verse four says this: "Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all of Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord when the Lord comes." So, so you see, first Moses mentioned in Malachi four, verse four, and then you see. Um, yeah, that's why you didn't have it, because I wrote it two different ways in my notes. I see now. Um, so in Malachi 4:4, 4, 4, remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him. And then it says, "See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that grateful and dreadful day of the Lord comes." So the disciples just took this picture in, this this amazing scene. And so they're thinking about Elijah, they're thinking about Moses. When they see Jesus' face shining and his clothes white, it's a picture of what? The resurrection. In Revelation 1.16b, it says, His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. They, they saw Jesus as he's going to be one day, as we will see him one day. And, and when they saw all of this, they got this clear picture that God is holy, holy, holy. In our communion liturgy, next week we share communion together. We always say, holy, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. Well, that comes from Revelations 4 8 and 8b, where it says, Day and night they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And in the midst of this, Peter says, Lord, should I build you a shelter? Now that's interesting an interesting thing that we'll talk about in sunday school is that in matthew it says lord in mark it says peter says rabbi shall i build you a shelter and in luke he records it as master shall i re- shall i build you a shelter why three different ways well well we'll uh, we'll discuss that but but all three of those hold a real similarity none of them is an adequate title peter had just said earlier that jesus is the messiah And in the midst of this scene of revelations and the Old Testament and all this happening, before Peter hears the voice of God, he says, Lord, which in in that culture can really just mean, sir. Sir, shall we build you a shelter? Or husbands were often called Lord. It it was a pretty common title. It wasn't adequate. Rabbi means teacher, not adequate. Master, not not adequate. In the moment, Peter doesn't get it, that they are in the presence of, of God. But he hears the voice. Bam, face on his ground, he gets it. They are in fact in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They are present for the fulfillment of Malachi chapter 4. They are at Jesus's baptism. Remember those words were spoken at Jesus's baptism. That should come to mind and they are on the mountain of exodus the exodus story is so important and moses was on the mountain and there he encountered gods in the cloud all of that just happened in the transfiguration they are seeing all of those scenes and they are there and elijah jesus says as he descends the mountain has come back and elijah that's the figure of john the baptist and moses was the deliverer from egypt but he is in no comparison to Jesus, who is about to deliver all of humanity from sin, death, and the devil. On the mountain, Peter, James, and John get a clear picture that Jesus is the holy God in the flesh. Holiness means separate, set apart. Holiness means sinlessness. No sin, perfect. Nothing gets near to holiness that is sinful. Holiness is fear-inducing. It's terrifying. When you're next to holiness, it seems throughout scriptures, you're innately aware of un- how unholy you are, and you're, you're, you're innately, you know that you are so far from holy. It's terrifying. In the presence of God's power, there tends to be a worry. There tends to be a worry, I think, that That you shouldn't do anything that might invoke the power of God against you. That you're super vulnerable. You realize how small you are, like when lightning strikes. And holiness in our minds is often in tension with mercy and grace. When you think about holiness, your next picture is not usually mercy and grace. That's the good news of the gospel. That for God, those things go hand in hand. So today for you, if you had to take your your Connect card out, if you didn't hand it in, or a piece of paper and write down, okay, what's my picture of God? What's my dominant picture of God? What would it be for you? When you think of God, is your focus mostly on holiness, that this is a holy, awesome, and powerful God? Or is your picture of God mostly about mercy and grace? And when I think of God, I think about his compassion and his mercy and his grace, It's always a tension, and we know we think about God in multiple ways. But what's your your go-to? Is it holiness, or is it mercy and grace? When holiness is your dominant picture of God, which isn't wrong. God is holy. We see it quite clearly here in Matthew 17. But when that dominates our mind, our tendency is to not go near anything that we think is sinful. We stay away, because that's what holiness requires, stays away. And when the Pharisees, who their dominant picture was, was holiness, which isn't wrong, it was just too dominant in their mind. They didn't hear the rest of the gospel. They would look at Jesus and say, Why would you go and eat with tax collectors and rebellious people? Why in the world would you talk to a Samaritan woman? Why would you touch a leper? Uncleanliness should give you the, the heebie-jeebies. It, it does for us, but it doesn't seem to for you. Well, if it does for you... That means holiness is the the dominant picture of God. It's not wrong. It's just something to know about yourself. Well, that's how I tend to think of God. When holiness is your dominant picture of God, you'll be tempted to look down on others who are unholy. In Luke chapter 7, this beautiful story of Jesus with the Pharisees and a a prostitute comes in and starts to touch him and, and wash his feet. And the Pharisees are flabbergasted that Jesus would put up with that. There's a blind man who's looked down upon because obviously he's blind because he's sinful and he deserves it. The poor are obviously poor because they they do not want to to work. There's a reason that they're there. They're supposed to be there. And and that's your tendency if if holiness is your dominant picture of God. And when holiness is your dominant picture of God, you will struggle to really believe that God loves you. You'll think that God is blind. Your tendency, my tendency, when holiness is my dominant picture is to think that God's perpetually unhappy with me because I know that I'm not holy. God is holy, and I keep trying to be holy, and I can't. So I'm a failure. That's how I view myself. No mercy. If I have a hard time extending mercy and grace for others, then I'll have a hard time extending it for myself as well. Holiness often comes with the view that God is perpetually unhappy with others and if we're honest with ourselves. What happens when mercy and grace is your dominant picture of God? Well, you'll define sin then with the lowest bar possible. You will tend to not see sin. You will always say, yeah, but God is merciful and compassionate. And Jesus says, yeah, you see in the 10 commandments where I say do not murder, but then that's the lowest bar possible and you give a lot of mercy and grace for anything that leads up to murder but isn't. And Jesus says, Anger is is wrong. Don't let anger fester. That's what leads to murder. So so don't let it fester even for even for a day. Yeah, it says do not commit adultery, and that's the lowest bar, and you think God has mercy and grace for everything else. And and he does, but I want you to not view each other as sex objects. Control your mind. Don't let it run amok. Yes, I say love your neighbors and you like to love the people that are good to you, the friendly neighbors. But I say love your enemies. The bar is way higher than just love the person that scoops your driveway when it snows. That person's easy to love. Love everybody. Yes, you want to make things fair eye for eye. But eye for eye just means everybody ends up blind. Quit taking revenge. Refuse to take revenge. That's what a holy person would do. So when mercy and grace are your dominant picture of God, you will struggle to call sin, sin. Well, it's not a big deal who you sleep with. God will forgive. It's not wrong to to divorce or who really cares about that. Marriage is hard. Well, it's tough to give money away. God knows you are human and it'll just be all grace and mercy and compassion. And so you have this tension. And in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, Jesus ends with these most challenging words. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be holy as your heavenly Father is holy. All of those things are true. God is completely holy, and God is full of mercy and compassion. We all need to remember what God says about himself in Exodus 34.6. We focused on this a little bit ago, worked on memorizing it, but if our tendency is to focus on God as merciful and graceful, we need to remember the setting of Exodus 34 where God was with Moses in this powerful, terrifying setting. And he starts his, his, his disclosure of who he is to Moses with these words, I am who I am. I am God. But then right after that, in this setting of power and, and fear and terrifying presence of the I am who I am, God says, and guess what's the good news? I am merciful and compassionate and full of love and he goes on and on with these amazing that 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 there's both and the hard part for us is we're going to get tending to get way too far to holiness at times we're going to tend to then go over here and get way too far to mercy and compassion and grace and we got to fight the tension to really have a complete picture of who God is peter ended up getting it and he wrote a couple books first peter and second peter second peter 1 Sixteen to eighteen says, He's writing, and he says, For we did not follow cleverly cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him. On the sacred mountain. Just like you and I never forget when we're in the presence outdoors of lightning, Peter never forgot that day on the mountain. He learned a lot about who God is. But we'll see, on his journey with Jesus on the earth, he still has a lot to learn. God, Peter came away knowing that God is holy and majestic, full of grace and mercy. It's attention. One of the last words that God spoke on that mountain, three words. Listen to God pay attention, discover who God really is, that he's holy and full of grace, mercy, and compassion. And that's the challenge for us today. We're going to close with a famous Christian hymn. that's simply titled, Holy, Holy, Holy. It's a lovely song, a powerful song. But the words go like this, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. You picture the mountain on their face. They knew it. Our song shall rise to thee, holy, holy, holy. And the songwriter makes a brilliant move right here because he names the tension. Merciful and mighty, both. And I think the songwriter gets it right because mercy comes first. Throughout the Bible, we'll talk about grace and mercy come first. But God is also holy and majestic and not to be messed with. Peter never forgot the awesomeness of the moment on the mountain. And as we first meet God's grace and are welcomed into his presence, may we never forget that we also follow a holy God who holds the palm in the palm of his hand, the earth, the sky, and the sea. Let's pray together. God, this tension is is hard to live with, and we often don't listen correctly, and we can get it wrong when we, we focus too much. On one part of who you are, and God help us to live in the midst of this middle, so we don 't get it wrong, where we we fall at our knees at your holiness and your awesomeness, but we also are not afraid uh, to to, uh, to approach and give the good news that you are also compassionate and merciful and, and full of grace and abounding in love and God as we as we sing this song as we close, help us to know in our own lives where we tend to tend to get off and 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 help us to uh where we get off track and help us help us to uh to see you more clearly that we might listen to you god we thank you that you are holy that you are merciful and mighty we pray this in jesus name amen
0: thank you for listening we hope today's message inspired you to dig deeper into your own relationship with christ and apply his words to your world If you like today's message, feel free to check out Linwood Covenant's other podcasts, including past sermons. If you're looking for something to binge beginning to end, check out First Word, our first podcast series that guides listeners through the book of Mark. You can find all of these wherever podcasts are available. You're also welcome to join us for a full worship service which streams on YouTube every Sunday morning at 9.30 Central Time. We'll see you next week. And remember, come what may, nothing will separate you from the love of Christ.